The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 81.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode. And as we said, issue 81 of Wizard was full of changes, which means there's so many things for us to cover in our discussion and our exploration of just what were they putting in. So many sidebars and other little excitements. Uh, but I do want to give another big thanks to Kevin Hellions. Such a fun conversation. He knows the show, he loves the show, just a smooth, smooth ride as we explored everything they, they had to offer. But speaking of which, I say, let's get into our first new segment. This is called Thumbing Off? Yeah, so this is a sidebar where they say, we impose our judgments on one and all. Basically meaning they have thumbs up, thumbs down on different bits of comic book news. X-Men gets a thumbs up. Thanks to the new writing tandem of Joe Kelly and Stephen T. Siegel, the mutants are more entertaining than they have been in years. Focusing on simpler character-driven stories, the X-Men books are more accessible to new readers and still entertaining to traditional ones. The X-Men are once again the classic super team of comics. Wow, I mean, that's huge. Now, first thumbs down, though, is the JLA roster. Instead of the Magnificent Seven, Superman, Batman, and the original bunch, we now have 14 members. Big Barda? Come on, Plastic Man? Give us a break and steal? He belongs in a bad movie with Shaquille O'Neal, not one of comics' coolest super teams. The new team can be described in two words watered down. It's so interesting that they were against Steel that much, but I guess just the bad taste of that movie was still in their mouths. The next thumbs up is Marvel's recap pages. The recap offers an ideal jumping on point for new readers and reminds readers of previous events. However, Marvel must be careful not to reveal surprise endings in the recap page. See Iron Man number two, where the Dreadnought's appearance was revealed on the recap page. But that is something where you could just see, hey, we've been bugging them about it forever in the skinny Every time we reviewed a comic, we said there's no recap page. They finally listened. Again, Wizard was very influential at this time. Thumbs down to Lobdell Canned. Lobdell's brief three-issue run on Fantastic Four was the best in years. While creative differences was cited as the reason for his dismissal, we wish Marvel and Lobdell could have worked something out. Fans are the only losers in this one. Yeah, so I mean, it just seemed like every turn Scott Lobdell was rubbing the Marvel editorial the wrong way. So this was kind of the end to Lobdell. Alright, Cataclysm gets a thumbs up, though. This is one of the most shocking and riveting crossovers the Bat Office has ever done. The new Batquake storyline is a giant risk because of the potential long-lasting effects in destroying Gotham City and even the Batcave. We want to see more crossovers with this much impact on heroes. Yeah, so as we discussed on our Batman special, it really was well done, but in a way that, like, it was just cool because you're like, yeah, they are really gonna stick with this. It's not just like, you know, next month everything will 
it'll be wrapped up. A lack of continuity gets a thumbs down. Marvel's supposed to be one big happy universe, right? Well, New York was turned into a jungle and Kazar Baron Zemo took over half the world with Thunderbolts. Did any of these events impact the rest of the supposedly consistent Marvel Universe? No. And that's a bad job. Well, as mentioned by our guest Kevin Hellions, you know, comic book stories take place on different days. So, you know, when New York City was a jungle and Baron Zemo was in charge, those might have been a week or two apart, you know? <laughs> Okay, the final thumbs up goes to Cubert on Cap. Kudos to Marvel for giving big-name talent like Andy Cubert a big-name title like the core Captain America book. Yeah, Kazar was great, but we want to see Cubert on a big book like X-Men again. So this is something for Wizard News we didn't have time to report on, so let me just give you the story here, because they said Cubert Garney trade caps. Andy Cubert recently announced his penciler of the tentatively titled Captain America Sentinel of Liberty spinoff series will actually pencil the parent book Captain Captain America. So where does this put current cap artist Ron Garney? On Sentinel of Liberty. Cubert will take over penciling Captain America beginning with the second half of May's issue number seven. Meanwhile, Garney shifts to Sentinel of Liberty for July's number one. So you might be thinking, how does Ron Garney feel about being taken off the main book? Well, he says here, quote, I was a little skeptical of the switch at first, but I look at it now as a chance to work on a new number one issue. And it's going to be cool to draw cap in all these different time periods, giving me more of a personal challenge to create the feel of these different eras. So he wasn't bitter, why should we be? But speaking of Captain America, you know I love a transition. It's time for Cap's Kooky Contests. So as you might recall, one of the things they said they were doing in this issue was bringing back the drawing board section where all the fan art is. Now, they didn't seem to be accepting fan art, just random submissions. It was actually they were showing off all the submissions for their various art-related contests. So with this one, they show all the draw a female bone character. In the Batman special, they had a, hey, create a Batman for the year 2000. And now they're doing it again with the redesigned Superman art contest. So how to win? Well, how to enter, really. Here's how it works. Redesign Superman's costume. No, we're not kidding. Just take Supes as your model and play fashion designer. Give him a mask, armor, gloves, bikini briefs, whatever. The coolest looking and most original entries, aside from winning cool stuff, will also see print in an upcoming issue of Wizard. And hey, humorous entries can win too. So there you go right there. That seemed to be the new way they were gathering up original art, not just any old idea that somebody put together. So grand prize, the super, super, super winner flies off with an original piece of Tom Grummet Superman art depicting the Man of Steel in a costume of the winner's design, a senses-shattering Superman 98 luminescent watch, and a mini-library of Superman trade paperbacks. Superman the Man of Steel, the death of Superman, world without a Superman, and the return of Superman. Now, first prize, five runners-up will receive a whip-ass Superman watch and the collection of four Superman trade paperbacks listed above. Second prize, ten readers will walk away with the collection of four Superman trade paperbacks listed above. Actually, they're listed above above, but that's just nitpicking. This contest is sponsored by the fine folks at DC Comics, home of Beppo the Super Monkey. <laughs> now, as far as the legal text, this looks like a job for the lawyers. Alright, no purchase necessary. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, DC Comics, their immediate families, and Jerry Seinfeld. 
world. He doesn't need to win this contest. He gets to hang out with Superman. We actually talk a little bit more about Jerry Seinfeld's connection to Superman in issue 82. So that's just a little teaser. All right, next one here. Odds of winning will be determined by the number of valid entries received prior to the closing date of the contest. How cool would it be to have x-ray vision? Well, as long as you can control it. We don't mind seeing hot naked people, but porksters? Eek! Oh, come on, wizard. No fat shaming around here. Let's move on to the next contest, which is... The Create a Monster for Battle Chasers contest. Yes, presented by Joe Manorera since he was running the whole show now, right? So Battle Chasers is top 10 artist Joe Manorera's new creator-owned series coming from Wildstorm's Cliffhanger Productions. The book is a fantasy-based sword and sorcery book full of dragons and other monsters, and Manorera is giving readers the chance to participate. Grand prize. One battle boy will have the monster he creates drawn into an issue of Battle Chasers. He'll get to see his monster locked in battle and beautiful rendered by Joe Matarera plus Matarera <laughs> Matarera, apostrophe LL, let the winner have the page of original art on which his monster appears. First prize, 10 others each win a copy of Battle Chasers number one signed by Joe Matarera and a copy of the Battle Chasers number one variant also signed by Matarera. So at this point, it's just like anything that comes from Joe Mad, that's a good enough prize. You don't need swag, you don't need anything else. Think you're up to the task? Good, just create your very own monster. You can either draw it and send it in, or if you lack drawing skills, describe it in 50 words or less and send that in. Just make sure you attach it to the official entry form below. We'll review them and pick the best based on creativity. Want a hint? The scarier and more disturbing the monster is, the better chance it has of winning. So add on those pinchers, slop on the eyeballs, give it tentacles galore. What you waiting for? Get creating. Just remember, if you send in a drawing, make sure it's no larger than eight and a half by eleven and a quarter, and don't fold it. So this contest is sponsored by Joe Matarera and the letter W. Tried to go for a little Wizard Sesame Street synergy there. The contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, Wildstorm Cliffhanger Production their immediate families, and the doctor who did the implant surgery on Red Monica. What, was there a surplus of silicone that he had to get rid of? Jeez! <laughs> Which was exactly my commentary when I reviewed uh, Battle Chasers a few episodes back. That's pretty hilarious. Okay, I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Alright, odds of winning will be determined by the number of valid entries received prior to the closing date of the contest. Matarera? What kind of name is that, anyway? That's it. That's the joke. <laughs> All right, on to our last one here. Let's check this out. Segasoft and Firebat Press Limited present My Name is Scud contest. Grand prize. One straight shooter wins a copy of Scud, the disposable assassin's PC game called Scud Industrial Evolution. The original cover art from the special limited edition Scud, the disposable assassin number 18, signed by creator Rob Schraub, and so he could catch up on the comic series, the first three Scud trade paperbacks covering issues 1 through 15, and personally autographed to the winner by Rob. First prize, 25 sharpshooters each take out a copy of Scud Industrial Evolution and a copy of Scud number 17 signed by creator Rob Schraub with cover art by fantasy artist Jeff Easley. Now when I saw these prizes I was kind of excited because a couple months back in a back issue bin I was able to pick up four autographed copies of Scud the Disposable Assassin but it turns out they were issues 21 through 24. So I'm wondering though if they came from a future wizard contest because it seems likely 
Really, how are you going to get that many signed in that way? Seems like they probably came, you know, not from an actual meeting with Rob Schraub, but who knows? So got your sights set on these fab prizes? We'll simply pull out your trusty pen, fill out the entry form below completely, and mail it on in. We'll wade through the entries and randomly pick the lucky winners. Never thought winning could be so easy, did ya? This contest is sponsored by Fireman Press Limited and Segasoft, purveyors of fun products. Now, the uh, fine print here is being called Trash Talk. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, Fireman Press Limited, Segasoft, and anyone reading this and wondering to themselves, who the hell is this Scud character they keep talking about? Get with it, fella! I will say, if not for Wizard, I definitely would never have heard of Scud the Disposable Assassin. They promoted it so much, the comic, the video game, but I really didn't see it at my local comic book store. Doesn't mean it wasn't there, I just didn't ever run into it. Before we close everything out, though, I did want to follow up on something. So last mini episode, I covered the Altered Image contest, where they had Wizard readers, you know, send in their amalgam versions of Image Universe characters. Well, I was in a back issue bid this week and I happened to find altered image number three which I didn't realize on the cover it says wizard contest runners up so they had the winners in issue number two but in issue number three they were saying hey here's everybody else who entered so I thought it'd be cool just to share these with you I'll post them to social media but just some of the names right the, the, the characters that they were mixing together here and again I don't know every image character so I'm gonna have to kind of pull together from what I know I won't do every single one of them here but the first one was Warblade from Wildcats and the Darkness and they called him Sheath you know like you gotta sheath your weapon sheath your blades which I thought was cool it's not funny but it was just like okay they came up with an original name the next one though was also the Darkness but mixed with Ripclaw and they came up with Darkclaw which makes me think that this person who submitted it never actually read the Amalgam comics they didn't know that was such a thing and then they had here Grail from Wetwork and they mixed him with the darkness and called him Dark Grail. But he was very glowy, not very dark after all. It just seemed like, you know, the darkness was the biggest thing at this point because there are a whole bunch more on the next page. Dark Violator. There was Dark Lash. Yeah, Backlash in the darkness. There was Dark Rain, which is Rainmaker from Gen 13. Where they actually had somebody else submit Freefall in the darkness as Darkfall. Uh, there's even Nightfall, which is weird because that was another backlash and the darkness but they were calling him nightfall so anyway that was kind of fun over here as far as non-darkness related entries they had a funny one where they mixed zealot and emp from wildcats to zell emp <laughs> which i thought was funny they had grunge and super patriot who they called grungy patriot just grunge with you know his red white and blue mask on and he's got the cybernetic limbs but he's still got his big tattooed chest of course my personal favorite was kiss the Next Mutation, which is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles dressed up as Kiss. And if the Next Mutation doesn't make sense to you, if you don't remember, there was, in the wake of Power Rangers, Saban Entertainment was able to make a, a live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series where they introduced a female turtle, Venus, uh, you know, and there was this whole thing, and it was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation. So this is somebody who was very plugged into what was going on. I did think it was funny, too. You know, Matt Wagner's mage was getting a lot of 
press these days. And of course, Danger Girl was the hot new book from J. Scott Campbell. So they had Danger Mage, which I thought was pretty awesome. So anyway, uh, there's a whole bunch more that I will post to social media, like I said, so you can take a look. But so much fun. I was very excited to find that because I had no idea that they went that far and showed even more of those entries. But hey, let's get into another feature, one of the uh, April Fool's features for this issue. We're going to check out our top 10 heroes and villains list. Now, the twist for this, as they say, is in honor of April Fool's Day, we proudly present the top 10 heroes and villains we wish were a joke. So number one on the list is Teen Iron Man. Okay, let's get this straight. After reading uh, 30 years of Iron Man stories, we're suddenly told that Iron Man has been secretly manipulated by the villainous Kang since, oh, about day one or so. And he's just so gosh darn evil that only death and the sudden appearance of his younger 17-year-old self from the past can salvage his soul? Nope, they're not. So after Teen Iron Man got shuffled off to the Heroes Reborn universe and was brought back to the original Marvel universe, they just made him regular old Tony Stark again. Good. Now number two, Superman Red Blue. Okay, let's get this straight. Some lame-ass story from the 1950s, that golden Superman era where every stinking story every month involves soup stopping bank robbers and Lois Lane almost finding out his secret identity, is resurrected and foisted on fans at a time when we're already horribly sick of electric slide ice skating suit Superman? So DC gives us two bad Superman to hate? And this is an improvement? And DC doesn't expect us to storm its offices with torches and pitchforks? Must. Kill. The pain, close eyes and think of Superman forever in April, sweet release from horror. Alright, number three is Scarlet Spider. Okay, let's get this straight. <laughs> That's gonna gonna start everything well. Back in 1975, well before Dottie the Scottish Sheep, they cloned Spider-Man. Three issues later, the clone died. End of story. Flash forward 20 years, we're cruising through the 90s, wondering how Beverly Hills Z0210 remains on the air when BAM! We're hit with the revelation that the clone never died. It was Spidey who died. Suddenly, 20 years of Spider history becomes such a convoluted mess that eventually Marvel had to go back on its little revelation and say that it was indeed the clone who died in the first place to sum it up in one word ugh number four guy gardner warrior okay let's get this straight First, Guy Gardner is a nice teacher guidance counselor type of guy. He even helped rescue a busload of little school children from falling off a bridge. Then he goes into a coma and becomes a real jerk. Then Batman punches his lights out and he becomes so nice it makes you want to hurl. Then he gets his lights punched out again and becomes a jerk again. Now he's some space alien guy who can turn his hands into guns and, and has his face painted up like he's the ultimate warrior? Okay, now where did we start again? Why should we care? <laughs> oh man, he was going through a lot of changes that's for sure ah this next one is going to shed some light on a question we had during our top 10 list in this episode okay number five brother power the geek you know what there ain't enough of in the world ragdolls that double as superheroes this raggedy andy reject is a peace-loving hippy 
Dubby Dubby, charged with a soul whose only power is the message of brotherhood and peace. Nice notion, but it'll work too well when you're facing off against Wolverine or even just some punk with a prison-made shiv. And incidentally, the word geek was originally coined to describe the circus performers who bit the heads off live chickens. Dig it. Wow. Okay, so that was not at all where I thought it was going. Not even related to a carnival. I do wish they would say which comics he was from, though, because we have no idea now where to look for that crazy story. All right, number six is Guido the Strong Guy. Oh, no, I know a lot of people like Guido. Oh, boy, where to start? One day, someone went to the giant book of comic book names that have already been taken and found out that it was full. Yes, sirree, Bob, every stinking superhero name possible had already been copyrighted by Lightning Comics or something. <laughs> so what's left? Oh, we don't know, maybe Strong Guy? Yeah, that'll work. Then Marvel fit the world's tiniest human head to a body that looked like a jukebox with chest hair and everything was done. Good night. All right, number seven is Plant Man. Tremble before the fury of Plant Man. He makes plants grow really fast and really big. Big whoop. So does sunlight, water, and some well-placed fertilizer. Speaking of fertilizer, that's about all this chump is good for. Plant Man can't even do a thing without his stupid-ass plant gun that he needs to make a friggin' fern grow in the first place. Wow. Dominion over plants via a gun. This guy definitely picked last in the I'm gonna be a tough guy villain draft. Number eight is fate. And you know which fate we're talking about. Someone should have told DC that the grim and gritty motif went out of vogue a few years back. Maybe the horrid haircut, razor stubble, ooh, very Miami Vice, and tough squid expression would have sold in 1991. But those days are gone. Instead, DC rolled out this new hip version of the classic Dr. Fate in 1997 to see if fans would take a bite. If they did, they puked it back up. The new Fate lasted 12 issues before a merciful, to us, death. <laughs> Man, that guy is still a punchline today. Gotta love it. Number nine, D-Man. He stinks. Literally, D-Man is, politely put, a bum. He recently showed up at Avengers and smelled so bad that no one would sit by him. Not even Quicksilver. D-Man previously spent time as Captain America's little buddy and even went down the faded path walked by Cap's previous sidekick, Bucky. He was on an exploding plane that went down in the North Atlantic. But where Bucky had the good grace to die, D-Man, unfortunately, lived to stink another day. P.U. <laughs> Number 10 is Anarchy. Boring. The most tired, overused premise of all, youthful rebellion. Yeah, that'll get the kids buying. Takes the form of anarchy. Unfortunately, anarchy's form makes him look like a weeble. Or maybe a human fire hydrant. We only wish there were a line of dogs as long as the Great Wall of China lining up to pee on this 12-year-old punk who fancies himself the bringer of world revolution. Try losing your zits first, kid. Clear as today, the world tomorrow. So there you go. Some interesting choices there. But of course, you've been waiting. I mean, how can they do it? They're picking the ones they wish didn't exist? Are they going super big for for Mort of the Month? Yeah, so this one here is Doughboy. Oh, God. Looks like Poppin' Fresh, that cute little Pillsbury guy, has finally got Elvis. Nah, don't worry. The future of cinnamon rolls is safe. It's only Doughboy, the malleable pile of, well, dough, that is the brainchild of twisted geneticist Artem Zola. Apparently, Zola thought that having something that looked like two tons of unbaked pie crust would aid him in one of his many schemes to kill Captain America. Didn't quite work, and Doughboy was eventually pounded to bits by Thor. Just look at the way this mort looks. If turds were white, 
they would be Doughboy. <laughs> so he almost maxes out the meter. There's just one head left unfilled in. But yeah, he basically just looks like a big pile of mush with a barely perceptible head on top. So never heard of Doughboy. I would be very curious to see, though, how exactly Thor dispatched him. We're going to keep the April Fool's fun rolling with the pick section. They say here, for this month, we asked a gifted psychic to predict the future of various comics. Check them out. So Aquaman number 45, there's a traveler's advisory in effect for the watery paradise of Poseidonus. Apparently the sea god Triton's been spotted heading for the city, sporting a mat on for Aquaman the size of the Titanic. Triton's a living, breathing, card-carrying sea god, and Aquaman? Heck, he's just a long-haired hero with a hook for a hand. Can anyone say sushi? So who do they go to for psychic advice here? Well, noted psychic Howard from from Latoya Jackson's Psychic Network, only $3.99 a minute, armed with only a deck of tarot cards and a quick wit, foretells of much danger under the seas. Quote, there's the symbol of the UFO here. It shows up as something that would be ideal and interesting to the readers. So there you go. There is a possibility of UFOs showing up in Aquaman. All right, what's next here? Danger Girl number two. Super slinky secret agents Abby Chase and Sydney are off at Gay Perry in a car chase to rival those cannonball run flicks. Meanwhile, they're Danger Girl partner Natalia is in Russia doing stuff so secret, we'd swallow a cyanide capsule before revealing it. So, they go to Howard again here. <laughs> Who says... Something keeps popping up here in the reading. Very strong. There should be a lot of potential for success for a female lead. I'm basing this on what I'm picking up outside the reading, like Xena and all these things happening on TV right now. The cards keep showing symbols of this. The feeling, psychically, is this is the direction to go in, since I do see symbols here showing increasing female readership throughout 98 and into the future. <laughs> I mean, it's just hilarious to me because it sounds like he's reading Variety or Entertainment Weekly. He's not reading the tarot cards here. All right, let's find out what the next prediction from the Mighty Howard is. The next book is Fantastic Four number six. These are strange days for the Fantastic Four. After fighting the evil Crucible, the Invisible Woman finds herself tempted by something from her Invisible Girl days. The FF battle, an unexpected threat, and Iron Fist and the Heroes for Hire show up for some mercenary mayhem. Our psychic pal Howard had this to say about the Invisible Woman's Temptation, quote, What the cards show in that question is that it's going to have something to do with temporal powers. In other words, something to do with materialism, greed. I guess it has to do with material rewards, temptation in this area. That is very interesting. So he thinks the Invisible Woman is going to be tempted by the money. Although, hey, the Fantastic Four was known for having money issues in the past, so maybe that's not totally off. What else does Howard have to say about Iron Man number five? So what's happening in this issue? Well, Isla Suerta, Lucky Island, is about to become Isla Muerta, Death Island, unless Iron Man can stop a massive volcanic eruption triggered by the criminally inclined Firebrand. Sporting a new look and attitude, Firebrand's set on turning the island paradise into a cinder, which is real bad news for Tony Stark's friend Jim Rhodes and his no-good cousin Morgan Stark, who are both trapped on the resort death trap. So, Tony Stark returning to his booze and alcoholic days? Howard the Psychic says nay, quote, I think the temptation should be there, and he should wave 
her back and forth like an Achilles heel type of situation. The cards show that it should be played on, but he shouldn't ever lapse completely back into it. So they're saying that they may mention it, but it won't be a part of a main story of full relapse. Now, as far as JLA number 19 is concerned, the Justice League's under attack by the foul Julian September and his probability warping engine of chance. September's lost control of the engine, though, and the leaguers are systematically fading from existence. Who's going to save our heroes from oblivion? Hmm, maybe a Justice Leaguer from way back? Now... Wizards is asking about the mystery Justice Leaguer's identity. They say, our psychotic, uh, psychic, Howard, says, quote, Interestingly enough, this shows up as Earth-based. Whatever that means, there's a card here of Earth, and this would be, I think, related to, I don't know, I, I guess some kind of creature made from Earth in some way? And it would be a character with omnipotent powers, so to speak. I would see it here from the cards as quite a powerful character. <laughs> I wish I had read that far ahead so I understood what that was all about. Uh, this is pretty interesting. They want a prediction on Kazar number 14. As far as what was going on in the courtroom of love, Kazar's no Perry Mason. His wife Shauna has been granted incredible terraforming powers by the High Evolutionary, and she plans on leaving Earth with the dirt bag. Unless Kazar can do some fancy footwork and brain work, his wife will be gone and the Savage Land will be destroyed. Apparently, the cards see trouble for Kazar. Quote, Shauna is going to flee Earth saith our resident psychic Howard. She's going to meet up with another female and they're going to form a team. We wonder what kind of team. Quote, I guess part of the storyline would have Shauna keeping on and off contact with Kazar in the future. Wow, that's a big one. I mean, that's a big pull from Howard if he thinks she's going to form her own team in space. Okay, Nightwing number 21. The triumphant debut of Bloodhaven's new hero Night Dashwing is interrupted by a fatal hail of gunfire. Now, Night Dashwing is dead weight, literally, which causes endless headaches for the real Nightwing. And when it's time to come home and relax as Dick Grayson, Nightwing learns his apartment's been condemned. Calgon, take us away! Our psychic pal Howard had this to say about Nightwing's demise, quote, Something here shows a hologram? I'm picking up different symbols about holographic technology? His death would be related to a hologram in some way. I'm not really sure how that would work, but there's definitely symbols of light. It could be lasers and holograms. <laughs> He's so focused on holograms that cracks me up. I would love if Howard had been credited in any of a f you know, future issues of these books that were being predicted, you know? Okay, well, let's see what's going on next. For Uncanny X-Men number 356, years ago, the energy being Phoenix killed billions of people. X-Woman Jean Grey has just adopted the Phoenix costume and identity. Not surprisingly, the original X-Men are scared pantsless and band together to deal with this potential threat. Sure, Jean is family, but is she on the brink of madness? and possibly genocide? Howard's psychic advice for the X-Men, quote, love, accept, support, and release. There's a lot of things behind these four words. She's got to do this. This is something she has to go through, so you don't want to impinge on her karma and prevent her from fulfilling this. She has to go through this kind of dark experience, which will last a little while, but she will come back out of it. <laughs> He's just giving the X-Men some advice, you know, how to be a good friend. So there you go. That was the last prediction from Howard the psychic what a way to go this isn't the first time they've called the psychic hotline by the way in the magazine if you remember way back but to just stick it in here like how many people were reading the pick section and getting those extra little bits so much fun all right let's see what else is around the corner ah it's Baron Zemo without his mask ah kill it kill it so this is another parody ad 
Now, we saw the, you know, painted Spider-Man the movie poster that we talked about on the main episode, but this one is a Got Milk parody ad, if you remember all of those with celebrities that had the milk mustache. My personal favorite, we talked about Kiss a little earlier. Because they wear white face paint, they had chocolate milk on their upper lips. That always cracked me up. But anyway, you have Baron Zemo holding a glass of milk. This is obviously a wizard staffer in a homemade costume, but it looks pretty good. And some really, you know, gross creature makeup. Uh, But he's got the little upper lip, but definitely some white stuff on it. And as you'll recall, the text for those ads was always the celebrity person. It was written in their voice. So we have Baron Zemo saying, Everybody thinks that trying to rule the world is easy, but it takes a lot of energy. The one useful secret my masters of evil beat out of Jarvis when we trashed Avengers Mansion is that milk does a body good. I can't force you to drink milk, so it's up to you to get what your body needs. Well, if that wedge Moonstone had turned against me, my thunderbolts and I would have forced you. But ah, maybe next time. Milk. He can't force you. He can't force you. So yeah. Anyway, just very fun that they were going with that. This is not the last one. I mean, they do a lot of these in the next few years. They have a lot of fun dressing up the staffers as various heroes. So one more thing to look out for in future episodes. Hey geeks, it's time to take a break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor, HalloweenCostumes.com, and the great selection of comic book costumes available. Plus, we're going to tell you how you can get 15% off your entire order by using the link in our show notes. I was browsing their site today, and I found their 90s Jim Lee X-Men costumes for Rogue, Cyclops, Wolverine, even Dark Phoenix, and the less evil green look for Jean Grey Phoenix. Uh, If you're more of a Garth Ennis fan, they've got Homelander and Starlight from the boys or multiple versions of the Punisher? How about taking a jump into the Spider-Verse as Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, Agent Venom, or Spider-Rex? It's true. Kids or adults can be a radioactive spider dinosaur this year. On the DC side, there's classic Batman in the light blue and gray, or the complete lineup of Teen Titans, Shazam, an amazing Yvonne Craig Batgirl 66 costume, and so much more. Plus, they've got all the accessories you need to make your costume as authentic as you desire. Of course, all the other areas of pop culture, from movies to classic TV and cartoons, are all represented at HalloweenCostumes.com. So, just take a look at our show notes for this episode and follow the link today to get 15% off your entire order between now and October 31st. Happy haunting, geeks! Let's get into a regular feature here. What do you say? It's time to check out what Wizard thought of the Kirk. Huh? It's not the skinny? No, it's been rechristened to Report Card. They are being brought to us this month by Brian Cunningham, Andrew Carden, and Greg Orlando. So our first book here is Batman Shadow of the Bat, about which they say, this bat just doesn't fly. And they've pulled a panel from an issue that features that Jared Stevens fate. So it's just kind of funny. They're just like, they're not going to let him go. We can skip what you need to know, because they're just talking about Batman's origin, but the good. Shadow of the Bat has some really interesting setups. Issue 65 shocks readers by showing super cop James Gordon arrested for corruption 
Corruption, a young boy claiming that Bruce Wayne's his abusive father, and her newsman blowing out a weatherman's brains on live TV. With teasers like that, it's next to impossible not to get pulled right in. Overall, the art, Mark Buckingham's quirky art in particular, works quite well in this series. Besides a clean style and good use of backgrounds, the art does a nice job of mixing the lighter moments with the darker ones. Issue number 73, Part 1 of Cataclysm, was an awesome setup to the long-awaited Gotham City earthquake tale. Seeing the almost mythical city and Wayne Manor crumble in only a few short panels, Rates is one of the gutsiest moves we've seen in a long time. So let's hope the rest of the story keeps up the pace. Speaking of which, uh, the bad. No matter how great the setup, Shadow doesn't deliver in the end. Besides falling flat, the endings wrap up way too conveniently. For example, while investigating a simple murder, Batman goes through a ton of people before realizing it's not the victim's wife who killed him, but the victim's lover's husband instead. This abrupt ending came out of nowhere, especially since Batman never investigated a possibly jealous husband in the first place, and then only discover the man's guilt after simple eavesdropping. Not to mention issue number 65's conspiracy storyline, Turns out, it was no mastermind pushing Bruce Wayne and Gotham's police into chaos, but a pair of lame-ass villains, one who can read people's fears and another who can hypnotize people. Disappointing, to say the least. Other than the initial setups, Shadow of the Bat's subsequent execution of the stories is too straightforward, with virtually no subplots or twists to thread through the series. These issues, they're just plain boring. For the world's greatest detective, Batman does a pretty crappy job of solving these crimes. He goes around beating information out of criminals or allows Oracle to practice solve each case with her computer connections. And finally, the Armageddon story saw Batman extremely out of character, mostly due to the guest appearance of Fate, ugh, who not only breaks into the Batmobile by dropping through an open sunroof, but also pals around with bats like their old college buds. The buzz. With the current Cataclysm story breaking new ground in the Bat books, more readers will certainly be attracted to Shadow to get the full story on this mega crossover. The skinny, despite tremendously intriguing story setups, Shadow's Dark Knight Detective ends up looking clueless. The grade? A C-. minus. Wow, okay. So I wonder if that is the last appearance of the Jared Stevens fate. That's what I want to know. Like, did he pop up in any more books? Did he get killed off at some point? I mean, why would they not have killed him off? I mean, I know Dr. Fate had to get his helmet back eventually, so there had to be something going on there. Alright, the next book here is Stormwatch. Smooth sailing on stormy seas. So at this time, the creative team was Warren Ellis, Oscar Jimenez, and Brian Hitch. So what you need to know, under the auspices of a United Nations charter, the heroes at Stormwatch act as a special crisis intervention team. Composed of heroes Winter, Fahrenheit, Hellstrike, Fuji, and Flint, Stormwatch is the world's last line of defense against villainy in all its forms. The good. Bar none, Stormwatch is the most realistic government-sponsored team around. Its heroes are brutal and efficient, treating superheroism as a job, plain and simple. In the first issue, the super strong Flint hits a man so hard she literally shatters his jaw and knocks an eyeball out. Later, she breaks a man's back with nearly a second thought, all in the line of duty. In the process, Stormwatch emerges as a team of superpowered Green Berets with personalities that could exist in our overly violent dog-eat-dog world. Stormwatch reads like a political thriller and abounds with interesting concepts like foes who carry guns inside their stomachs and a terrorist weapon that works by unraveling the victim's DNA. As the suspense builds and the team is faced with with the prospect of invading a U.S. town without United States authorization, Stormwatch seeks an alternate solution. Instead of 
unlawfully invading, the heroes locate a French national in the town and get France to sanction the team's invasion. Neat little twists like these not only keep the readers guessing, but leave them wanting more. There are some genuine moments of humor which add a great deal to the book. While the team relaxes at a bar, the gaseous giant Fuji reveals he has an orgasm every five minutes. What? As Fuji erupts, so to speak, Fahrenheit quips, I want to be a gaseous post-human entity. <laughs> wow. The bad. At times, the book's plot races faster than the Flash and becomes confusing. Characters' powers, most notably those of Hawksmore, of the super-secret subgroup Stormwatch Black, are not fleshed out. The book's introductions page states Hawksmore is, quote, specifically designed to thrive in urban areas, yet it never explains what this means or how the character is able to effectively walk between cities. Finally, there's a lot, possibly too much, to absorb in a mere three issues as Stormwatch discovers a terrorist plot to create biological weapons, invades a town to stop these terrorists, and ultimately saves the world. Readers might just find themselves saying, huh? But since the concepts are so cool, readers will overlook this. The buzz, Brian Hitch has become the title's regular penciler with issue number four. Beyond that, fans have started catching on to this cool book. The skinny, there's a lot to like about Stormwatch. Its realistic treatment of its heroes and politics make it the best government superhero book out there. But its breakneck pace can overwhelm a reader. The grade? B+. So I have the first, like, ten or so issues of Stormwatch. It never really caught me. I might go back and finish them off. I think I read the first five or so. But I remember seeing them in the back issue bin, and I think it was, like, the first 30 issues. Like, somebody was really dedicated to Stormwatch for a long time, then sold off their collection. All right, let's get to this next one. Vampirella, a bloody good time. So at this time, the creative team was Grant Morrison, Mark Miller, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, I mean, you got some pretty top talent there. What you need to know. Scantily clad vampire Vampirella is back from the dead and on a mission to kill all vampires. Mysteriously unaffected by crosses, holy water, garlic, and sunlight, the super babe heroine now kicks ass and takes no prisoners. The good. This book goes for the jugular. For the first time in recent history, Vampirella is a vibrant character who leaps from the pages. She's sassy enough to give the finger to her enemies, with the savvy to poke fun at her own plot holes. Quote, no one's ever explained how my abilities work. Maybe we'll find out later, she muses. All at once, the reader will be struck by how much neat stuff the writers jam into every page. The vampires seek to take over the mob and create human farms to harvest their blood supply. In the process, they create a sort of playboy mansion for the undead. There, vampires drink blood from a straw stuck into a heart-filled wine goblet, and female bloodsuckers play volleyball with severed human heads. Readers are also treated to a terrible mob boss who laces his room with crucifixes, only to be subdued by blind vampires who can't see them! Vampirella even uses an inventive method to destroy her foes by having a priest turn rain into holy water. Stuff like this makes each page a feast for action lovers. The book's art is fantastic. Despite Vampy's obvious history with TNA, the art calls attention to Vampirella's sexuality with a slightly cartoony look, making it seem less obvious. Every snarl of every fang is rendered so as to competently compete with the book's high-octane plots. The bad. Some weird plotting may leave a reader wondering. Like, in the first issue, Vampirella is seen gloating on a gravestone. The next time she appears, she's the prisoner of Don Fatoni, and only the briefest, most flimsy of explanations is given for how she got from one situation to the other. Readers are led to believe Vampirella was captured because she was hanging around Fatoni's hotel, as if the mob was, has nothing better to do than to detain loiterers. And hey, we're still scratching our heads over why Dixie, a seemingly loyal vampire, turned on the evil Von Christ. Some important plot pieces remain unresolved. While it's a cool mystery that vampies and vulnerabilities are unexplained, new readers never would have known it was 
a mystery until the second issue. The Buzz. While Grant Morrison is seeking to be exclusive with DC Comics, he has plotted four three-issue story arcs for Vampirella. Miller is expected to stay on as co-plotter, scripter. Also, Crusade heroine She will be appearing in a three-issue crossover in issues seven through nine. The Skinny. It is possible to revive the dead. Vampirella's characters are cool. The concepts are great in hell. Who'd have thought there was more to Vampirella than TNA? Now, this is funny here. Instead of the grade, they've crossed it out and put blood type A minus. So there you go. All right, our last book here is Superman Adventures. And they say even better than the real thing. So this was from Scott McCloud, Mark Evanier, Mark Miller, Terry Austin. What you need to know. Based on Kids WB's The New Batman Superman Adventures cartoon series, this all-ages series tells tales slightly outside of Superman's normal continuity. The good. This is Superman at his best. He's hip, friendly, and ready to get down to business. Superman Adventures is a great showcase of what the Man of Steel is all about. The book offers excellent action tales of Superman. The rare two-parter with Superman dying of a Kryptonian virus works beautifully, whereas it would have been a massive company crossover spending at least all four Superman titles if it was told in regular continuity. Then there's the story where a powerless Clark Kent tries to discover just who the heck that flying guy around Superman is. These are really neat and tidy stories that you just don't often see in Superman's interlocked regular titles these days. This series also pulls no punches in reminding readers that Superman is a hero for all heroes, and his stature in this fictional world is unparalleled. People are awestruck in his presence. His S symbol is known worldwide. The United Nations sends troops to guard a site where scientists work to cure Soups' fatal illness. Here, Superman trades his goody-two-shoes image for a decisive kick-ass attitude. Even though the series is targeted at younger readers, the concepts in this book are interesting enough that older readers will completely enjoy the series. The title poses interesting questions like why does Superman fight corruption before things get out of hand rather than after? Is Batman a braver hero because he doesn't have any powers? If Superman solves the world's problems, does mankind benefit from it in the long run? All these questions and more are tackled in this truly fun series. The supporting cast helps round out the book. Here, Jimmy Olsen's not annoying. Lois Lane's the headstrong reporter she started out to be. And Lex Luthor is wonderfully evil as Metropolis's criminal puppet master. The bad. The only concern we have with Superman Adventures is its target audience. Geared for younger readers, the weightier plots may be too much for the little tykes. And on the flip side, older readers may be turned off because the animated style. We hope not. But in fairness to older readers, issue number 13's Alien Sports Challenge was just a bit too goofy. If aliens are going to challenge Superman, we'd rather see a massive brawl than a, well, an alien sports game. The Buzz. With the Superman animated series renewed for a third season and the toy line still going, expect fans to still be seeking out the printed adventures of the animated Man of Steel. The Skinny, displaying the Man of Steel's best qualities, Superman Adventures clearly gives us the best Superman we've read since writer-artist John Byrne left Big Blue ten years ago. The Grade, and A. Hey, go to the head of the class there, Clark. Nice work. Before we close out here, one more thing I wanted to do. We don't spend a lot of time in the price guide these days, but Wizard was really beefing it up here where they were adding their famous firsts. But some of these are kind of interesting, like First Adamantium, Avengers number 66. And it says here, the Avengers are summoned by S.H.I.E.L.D. to test the merits of Adamantium, an indestructible new metal. Unfortunately, the lethal robot Ultron 6 takes control of the Vision and has him steal it. Curses! Ultron quickly recasts himself in Adamantium, withstanding a number of Avengers attacks. Planning to create an indestructible robot army, Ultron is finally stopped by a subconscious command from Hank 
pink pim that makes the robot explode. The indestructible adamantium, however, has been used ever since by numerous Marvel characters, including Wolverine, Bullseye, and Lady Deathstrike. So I just think that's cool. I did not know that that was actually the first time we ever got adamantium mentioned was, would be in Avengers. You would think it would have been Wolverine, right? Uh, but here's another one. The first time Batman kills. It was in Detective Comics number 32. Guns killed Batman's parents, so he hates firearms, right? Eh, it depends on which Batman era we're talking about. Way back in 1939, this comic finished a two-part story pitting Batman against the monk, an evil mesmerist who hypnotized Batman's girlfriend, Julie Madison. Turns out the monk and his accomplice, Dala, are both vampires up to no good. So Batman finally fashions two silver bullets. He quietly blows the vampires away as they sleep. Effective, if messy. Today, it is said Batman loathes the use of guns, but he still remains an expert marksman. So there's an interesting one. Now, he didn't kill a human, so he was just a regular thug, you know. So this next one here is First Total JLA Shakeup, which was definitely on their minds. It's in uh, Justice League of America Annual Number 2. Justice Leaguers came, Justice Leaguers went, but this little annual was the first time the Leaguers' membership almost completely turned over. After almost losing an Earth-Mars war because half the JLA was unavailable, Aquaman, a League founder, disbands the group and forms a new team of dedicated full-time heroes. This meant top-tier characters such as Superman and the Flash were forced to resign, while lesser heroes such as Vibe and Gypsy signed up. Although this incarnation of the League was very short-lived, it did spark a 12-year tradition of Leagues mostly staffed by second stringers. So it's definitely something that they brought up during the issue that they were not happy about maybe happening again. Now, on the image side, the first darkness power, Medieval Spawn Witchblade number one. Jackie Estacado stars in the darkness, but he wasn't the first to show the darkness power. That would be Lord Cardinal, a medieval ruler silly enough to have the treacherous Matthew Royale as an advisor. Hoping to learn a secret from the elves, Royale sends Cardinal to war with the realm of fairy. The slaughter draws the attention of Witchblade bearer Katarina and Medieval Spawn, who ultimately beheads Cardinal. But that's only a minor impediment since the darkness power keeps Cardinal's head alive for centuries and sparks events in issues of Arcanum. So at this time, Brandon Peterson had left Top Cow and he wasn't uh, going to be doing Arcanum for them anymore. So that was like something I remember they set up and made a big deal about. And then he was looking for something else to do. And they say here, Peterson passes on the X-Men gig, ops for glory instead. Brandon Peterson reported last month as being tentatively slated to take the artistic reins on X-Men is now going for the glory. The former Arcanum writer artist has passed on X-Men in favor of hooking up with writer Alan Moore for Awesome Entertainment's revamp of Glory. And then says Peterson about this endeavor, this is going to be the best work of my career. So, uh, here's the thing. I want, it's a little tease for next episode. There is some big news that goes down in the world of Awesome Entertainment. You might recall that they had just pulled Steve Scroach off of Spider-Man to do this new Youngblood relaunch, and now they're planning a Glory relaunch written by Alan Moore. You could pull away any new hot artist at this time by telling him Alan Moore was going to write a book. Uh, but there is, yeah, a big revelation about the future of that book. Uh, you're going to feel a little bit sorry for Brandon Peterson passing up that X-Men gig. And let me tell you, there's a whole other reason you are going to want to be here for episode 82. We have a very special guest joining us. One of the comic book men from the AMC series. Yes, from Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. It's the manager of that store, Mike Zapsick. Yes, so Mike Zapsick is going to be on the show. This guy loves Wizard Magazine. He had a very personal story to share, some great connections to it all. So I hope that you will join us then. It was a, a great conversation, lots of fun. Uh, but in the meantime, where can you find us? You know, we're on X at Wizard. 
Wizards Comics. We're on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. Find us on Blue Sky if you're over there. You can even hit us up, send us a DM. We have a few invitations to pass around, but we're at Wizards Comics on Blue Sky. Find us on Facebook. Find us on YouTube if you want all these original videos that we're putting together for you. But also, of course, we got to give a shout out to Patreon once again. Patreon.com forward slash Wizards Comics. You're getting the early release uncut episodes. You're getting scans of the issues. Our bonus 90s Super Cinema podcast. Blade is our next episode there. There's a whole bunch more that you get as part of that. But the one thing I just want to push once again is we have a very fun private chat going on this app called Slack. So the Retro Network has given us our own little chat room, essentially, if you want to use the 90s parlance, right? Where we get to just have ongoing conversations about whatever is on our mind. And all of our patrons have access to that. In addition to kind of the fun trivia nights and other things that the Retro Network is doing on their channels on the Slack app. So if you're not familiar with it, take a look. If that is an enticement to you to have a a private line to the Wizards host, then go ahead with that. But hey, we look forward to talking to you soon. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.